0: Welcome back to The Rural Roundup, hosted by me, Kerry Hammond. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. On today's episode, George, Robert and Tiffany discuss collaboration and partnerships. They look at examples like the Scottish pig producers and investigate how technology could facilitate collaboration. We're also joined by Tara White from the Landworkers Alliance, discussing their work in bringing people together and the benefits of farmers' networks.
1: Hi Tiffany, hi Robert, um, what have you been up to recently?
2: I'm just probably at that crawling on my hands and knees trying to get to Christmas at the moment, getting through lots of work, lots of PSF stuff and various bits and pieces pre-Christmas, lots of good work but plenty happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's
3: always plenty happening just before Christmas but I did manage to get out to Christmas market last weekend. I really enjoy going it gets you completely into the Christmas spirit and gets you looking forward to Christmas. It was really interesting I was chatting to um, someone who had a stall there and they were a local farmer and they were telling me how they were working uh, with one of their neighbours to be able to supply meat all year round so it's great to hear about farmers working together and collaborating.
1: There's a great history of collaboration in farming, though, um, at all levels. Um, we're very, very, you know, as an industry, it, it, it's been, it been quick to grasp that, and even in ancillary industries as well. Um, we get lots of examples of local farmers just working together, whether it's machinery, whether there's, there's other, um, other parts that they're sharing or, or just collaborating on.
2: If you look at that, the... F- typical producer at a farmer's market or, you know, your Christmas market, definitely the, that producer's generally generally small scale looking to add a lot of value to their product, have as short a supply chain as possible, but they've got a very quiet voice on their own. You know, they're an individual producer who doesn't really have that much influence in the wider, um, the wider industry. However, if you put them all together and have lots of quiet voices all together, you land up a really powerful movement. And actually, the, you know, the farmer's market over the years has really punched above It's so where allowed producers to punch above their weight, work together, and, and ultimately some of the best businesses we deal with are people that are working together and selling direct.
3: I think there's a lot of great small examples of farmers just working together with neighbour, with the farmer who's 10, 15 miles down the road, And there is a lot of these things going on without people actually probably realizing that farmers are already collaborating and working together on a small scale without thinking about the big voice, but on a small voice and being able to add the most value possible to what they are producing.
2: Yeah, I think one of the areas we are seeing a lot of, it's partly collaboration and and a a lot of new thinking is generally in the dairy industry, but that most of our big farmers are looking for a worker so retention of staff training staff empowering staff is probably one of the biggest challenges these big commercial businesses have got if if we can't do that we can't do anything so if we don't have the staff we need so what we are seeing dairy wise and it's not it's not a new thing but it's a new thing that's too many it's a new thing is actually giving or allowing members of staff and they need to be good members of staff who are you know skilled well-trained type of people but actually giving them or allowing them to buy into the herd allowing them to have some share in the business and the beauty of there is you you empower the person you tie them down a bit too they, they get a sense of ownership and a sense of connection to your business and you, you start to talk about us and we rather than me and it's much more of a team and that's the thing, I, you know, thinking about collaboration, we often think about big co-ops and big, you know, big complex things, but actually that collaborating with your existing staff, it could even be your kids, you know, giving, giving your kids a bit of skin in the game a bit earlier. There's an awful lot to go at here. And as I say, the, the labour issue, we've talked about it on here before, but the labour issue probably, so climate change is a big issue. Um changing diets is a big issue but to me for most of our real coalface face commercial producers labor is the biggest issue we've got and that's not going anywhere so we need to do things differently and working together the other thing is people starting to share workers as well guys who are really keen on doing one particular job does that particular job for three different farms rather than one but there's so much to go at you know the collaboration thing's huge going forward
3: There's definitely a lot to go at. One of my colleagues in the office is actually looking at approaching a couple of farmers because she can see what potential there is because they're next door neighbour farmers and they're doing things very similarly, but one enjoys things like going out feeding the cattle, the other has a young family, doesn't want to be going out feeding cattle and there's the potential there that the owners of the farm businesses could work together. So one of them goes out and feeds both farms whilst the other one can then do what he enjoys seeing his children at home but then he can also have his, his contribution um, whether it's improving the grassland or um, knowledge and experience that he's got and that's another way that people could be working together but sometimes it takes for somebody outside the businesses to see that opportunity for them as well
2: we've we've a few examples like that where they you know that there's a uh one i'm thinking of there's a son who is not very keen on cows son son on a big dairy farm but not very keen on cows really really keen on machinery and two neighbors next door or or nearby who bluntly couldn't put a nut in the monkey's mouth you know they're not interested in make anything mechanical or tractors or anything and they've actually sold their tractor and sold their wagon and the guy next door does all that and he does it to a really really high level almost to a point you start to wonder whether it's a service that could be provided by a non-farmer as well you know is it a contract we've we've outsourced fertility we've outsourced all sorts of things that do we actually outsource day-to-day nutrition of cows as well
1: i think there's another angle to take at this as well that um you know Working together, it can it can lead to much bigger things. Um, there's a, a local cooperative up here, Scottish pig producers. Um, they some t- these some these kind of groups it necessity drives them. Um, about forty three, forty four years ago, there was a, a processing plant closed. Um, suddenly you had a lot of pig producers who needed to put their pigs somewhere. Um, so this group was formed as as Grampian pig producers at the time. Um, this this you know, obviously gave the the pig producer some confidence and some security, and and more importantly as well the pro- the processors they also had the confidence, um that they knew there was this, uh group of, uh, flow of pigs coming through to them, so it's it's worked at both sides, um that has really gone on to much bigger things over time, um they're involved in in the health of the pigs they they coordinate logistics for the producers um and and heavily involved in the market and finding the best outlets and that for the pigs as well um and, and they in terms of in terms of the the, the number of producers you know a, they cover a lot of the um proportion a big proportion of the producers in the northeast are members of this co-op and, and it, it's really gone from strength to strength over the years
2: it's amazing how you, out of the you know collaboration type story you get things like that you get things like arla you get huge you know big powerful businesses but they still have the farming ethos at the back of them you know, they still have the best interest of the farmer and as long as that business or that collective of businesses remember remembers that their roots remembers what the bit that really matters is supporting the primary producer it's hard to see how there's there's a better way of you know, produce, in this example, producing pig meat and supporting the pig farmer than, than doing it yourself.
1: Yeah, but, it, but it's amazing as well as these groups grow. The farmers are still involved, but but they, they quickly identify, and you know, and as you've mentioned, Arla as well, the farmers know what they're good at, but they bring in the right people to, to really drive things forward um, the experts, and, and um, yeah, it's, it, it's a success story. And there, there's other ones throughout the country. And whether it's in grain or local grain groups and such like, and and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of knowing your strengths, and then and then and knowing when you <laughs> bring in bring in the right people, sort of thing.
3: I think as consultants, we do a lot of business work, and it's good to see when the farmers are thinking about their business and how to move it forward. They then look at collaboration, and um, there's definitely examples of farmers. Um, upland farmers who are producing beef and then they're then moving the cattle 15 20 miles along the road to an arable farm and then the arable farmer is finishing um the beef and that makes a big difference because both farmers are doing what they're good at the upland farmer doesn't have the resources to be able to finish the animals and the arable farmer they've got the barley available and the straw available and also getting the benefit of having the farmyard manure there as well and it's saving the arable farmer having to buy in cattle to finish and the uh, the upland farmer is then able to produce the cows as best they can they still have a stake in them when they get finished so then he knows what quality of beef he is managing to produce and it ends up being a win-win if you can get this working on both sides
2: so i think there's a potentially amazing collaboration to come which is the and it's an old collaboration so we used to sending cattle from the west to the east was very common back in the day you know west coast open cattle wintered in east Lothian and fife wasn't uncommon then subsidy systems changed and we were encouraged to keep cattle and probably keep cattle in areas that we shouldn't have Um, that game's changing again too you know there's a lot a lot of change happening however the ruminant, the grazing animal, is what, one of the five pillars of regen ag. It's one of the most important pillars. Is something grazing, growing soil. The challenge is, and amongst all the regen stuff, the bit I think it doesn't sometimes doesn't do very well is makes money. So actually, we have to have a commercial business that's fit to repay debt, fit to reinvest, fit to grow. So if we look at the role of a suckler cow on an arable farm in East Lothian. It's, pretty, it's of pretty limited value in terms of other than, you know, the, other than the region, the, the, the soil and the dung story, the actual gross margin of the cow is pretty limited. However, where we are now, we've got technology, we've got systems evolving in the West where we've got, you know, GPS collars, virtual fencing collars, different types of, you know, hardier type of cow that we can actually send that send that animal east but on a much as a much more specialist grazing tool rather than as something to stand in the shed and make straw into dung. So I think we're going to see a place where the the collaborations forced to happen by the market demanding regen of a business that can't afford it. So we land up outsourcing it we bring in a not, I'm saying can't afford it it's not the right way a business that's more commercially minded and want and needs to maximize profit. So we have these big businesses in the east that make use of the lack of winter options for cows in the west. So maybe October to February, October to March, cows go east, they graze cover crops, they graze forage crops with GPS collars, shared risk, good story, everybody's happy, cows then go back west, do their summer through there and allow the east coast farmer to get on with arable production producing high value food and not having not been burdened by that cow so i think collaboration might be the thing that makes the scottish system a, you know a lot more sustainable and makes scotland a smaller place
1: and another example the similar kind of line is that we're seeing more and more farmers now um they don't they're not pig farmers um but but you're your breeding pig producers they are um putting pigs to um maybe an arable farmer who's got a spare shed and uh, effectively bed and breakfasting the, the pigs um so this contract rearing is becoming more and more common it's it's an enterprise a diversification for the arable farmer he gets the muck um the the breeding pig producer he has a somewhere where he can finish his pigs and uh, everyone's happy really um so it's it's, it's another example of collaboration
2: so I guess we've we've covered a lot of ground there. There's an awful lot of examples and we've only really scratched the surface. There's a heap of things. But I think it's really important to you know, to think about how we can work better together. You know, some people don't don't want to and that's that's fine, but for those people who do, maybe they already collaborate a bit, how do they do a bit more? Should they do a bit more? But there's an awful lot to go at here. And I think the other place is to look out with your own sector at what other sectors are doing and try and bring in some ideas there, because there's no really n- new ideas, It's just applying them to, to different areas, but certainly, you know, collaboration, hopefully, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, um, and certainly there's food for thought for me in there, uh, as to how we take things forward, going forward, which is probably the right time, you know, looking into new year, uh, it's always a good point, a good line in the sand to draw breath, take a bit of time and, and think about, what we're going to do differently next year and perhaps the thing we do differently next year is work a bit closer with neighbours or, or producers or people that can help each other out So um,
3: There's definitely plenty of opportunities out there if you just stop think and try and see what they are there is links in the show notes to three different webinars which are talking about collaboration and cooperation so if you get bored over the christmas period it'd be a great idea to watch them and you might come into the new year with a new outlook so on that note robert george what are you having for christmas dinner
2: yeah no we are uh, going pretty conventional this year i was actually out to see michael shannon at Damn Delicious had a couple of Argentinians over eh, and we were showing them the ropes of what Scottish farming is all about so we went to see Michael, he had a great visit and then felt that I had to buy a turkey off him at the same time so eh, I bought a turkey, streaky bacon, lots of chipolatas, two different types of stuffing and eh, I've got a a rib roast in the freezer for a boxing day as well so we're having a, a meat feast as usual.
1: Yeah, well, we're we're just we I think we're just going to have a chicken this year, um, and uh, all the trimmings, and um, we've got a little one who's decided that she doesn't like turkey anymore. So, but she she likes tur- she likes chicken, go figure. But never mind, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be having a bit of beef at some point as well. So, um, yeah, just uh, fairly standard fare really.
3: Yeah, we've definitely got the traditional turkey and all the trimmings. My grandmother um, is an excellent cook, so we all like to descend there on Christmas Day. And she usually does a ham as well, which then does Boxing Day.
2: And a glass of milk for Santa too.
1: And uh, Rudolph's carrot as well.
3: We're joined today by Tara White
0: from the Land Workers Alliance, here to tell us more about their work and their aims.
4: I'm Tara White and I work for the Land Workers Alliance which is a union of farmers, growers, foresters, any land-based workers who are interested in building a better food and farming system. Um, so with the focus on agroecological principles, food sovereignty, um, you know, justice for land workers, building better livelihoods for our members, um, quite a broad focus. And I am the policy and campaigns coordinator in Scotland. One side of it is very much kind of engaging with what's going on in policy, Filling in a lot of consultation responses speaking to, to politicians policymakers and then the other side of it can be really quite creative campaigning um with, with our membership with farmers and growers uh, from across Scotland and um, you know we'll be making banners and or serving a meal of delicious local locally sourced food to to policymakers to show what we you know what what farmers can do sustainably and things like that so it's a it's yeah quite a far quite a far-reaching role so I I grew up in Edinburgh I grew up in the city um my grandmother had a farm in Northumberland so I went there every summer for the whole summer and ran around the field and had an amazing time so I was always quite connected to rural life and to farming and you know collecting the eggs feeding the sheep all that kind of thing was quite an important part of my holidays but yeah I very much grew up in the city um I also had a godmother who my godmother's a organic goat farmer in the mountains in Corsica, which is pretty idyllic. And when I was a difficult teenager, I was I think I was about 16 and I was just generally difficult, my mother sent me there for the summer. Um and obviously being being sent to work on a goat farm wasn't my dream summer at age 16 and then I just actually had the most amazing time I swam in the river and I came back a completely different person you know spent all this time milking goats making cheese it was wonderful and I feel like my kind of love of farming and rural life stems from that. I so I'm a trained as a biologist and um, so that's kind of how I got into this work was very much from a pure science perspective um, so yeah, my, my undergraduate t- degree is in biology. And then I went on to do a master's and a PhD, um, uh, doing a P- uh, my PhDs in crop science, looking at crop management practices for arable systems, basically, particularly focusing on spring rolling as a practice and, you know, how e- the efficacy of that and how sustainable that is. And it just really became so clear to me through that research that the farmers I was working with knew so much more about how to farm sustainably, um, what you know, new innovative practices there were, what was happening with the land, how the climate was changing. The farmers just knew so much more about that than any of the academics I was working with. Um, and at the same time, as I was doing my PhD, I was also involved in some environmental and social justice campaigning. And it really felt felt to me that, you know, I wanted to do something that was was making some kind of impact in the world. The best way to to make an impact wasn't necessarily to keep doing academic research, which often never really has the impact it could have in the real world. Um, but instead to work with the farmers who are kind of leading the way in terms of innovative practice for for, you know, a sustainable transition and that kind of thing. So I, I became increasingly more and more excited by by what was actually happening on the ground. Um, And that's what led me to working with the Landworkers Alliance. So we've been part of this um, project funded by the Knowledge Transfer and Innovation Fund for the past three years. And we are part of this project in partnership with lots of really other great organizations who are working on agroecological transitions. Um, The Soil Association, Propagate, the Crofting Federation, Uh, Nourish Scotland, I don't want to forget anybody, Uh, Nature Friendly Farming Network and Pasture for Life and yeah we've been working together for the past three years on a yeah basically on a project to to encourage agroecological transitions but in a way that's very much farmer-led and about sharing you know peer-to-peer knowledge partly you know as I was saying before I do really think that that knowledge exists on farms um, and the most exciting stuff that's happening in terms of agroecological practice, regenerative agriculture, you know, is, is happening on farm. So what, we, what we've what we done for this project is we've got different groups together around different themes and in different bits of the country. Like we're working across Scotland to learn from one another through a series of farm walks, workshops and webinars, online things. You know, there's, there's loads going on, loads of different forms of communication. Um, to learn about specific themes or topics that will be useful for people as they kind of transition to more sustainable and regenerative farming. For me, there's two real aspects to it. One of them is, you know, we do need to transition the pra- the practices on farm to be more sustainable. You know, we need we need to be farming in a way that's that works with nature, that's mitigating against climate change, that also is, you know, adapted to the changing climate, that we are going to need to see a big shift in practices and when we speak to our members on farms, you know they're really noticing the climate change already in a way that I think people living in the cities just aren't aware of. I think for me, just as important as that as that is the more this sort of social justice side of agroecology. Um, you know we want a food and farming system that that's fair, that's fair to the people producing the food, where people get paid enough and are empowered, um, and get to make their own decisions and also where everyone in that system has access to food and we're not losing loads of money to middlemen through long supply chains. And, you know, everyone should have access to healthy local food and the producers should have decent lives while producing that food. Um, and I think that that's all really a really important part of it. I think we can't just focus on the the more ecological side of it and forget about people's livelihoods and how that ties in with it. I think you have to address those problems together. And for me, that's why agroecology is such a useful concept. With the the Landworkers Alliance this year, we've been working. Uh, the group the group of farmers and growers that we've been working with has been specifically been um, small scale fruit and vegetable producers, um, some market gardeners. So this this year we've been working with different market gardens across Scotland to put together a, a more kind of cohesive training program where they, the different market gardens share their experience with a kind of cohort of people who are both working on market gardens and learning at the same time Um, and that you know I think in, in the context of that the group that we're working with really all that knowledge of how you know how to run a market garden the different the different ways you can structure that in terms of marketing the different practices that you can use for helping to you know adapt to things like drought that people might not be used to like the people who have that knowledge and experience are the people who are doing this every day So I do. And and everyone is using slightly different practices and is in a slightly different environment. And there's so much that they can learn from each other. It's, It's not just for kind of new entrants. It's it's so, you know, these so important for all the people who have been doing it for years as well to learn from each other. I think by collaborating there, there's, there's multiple benefits. There is just the kind of knowledge that's held within the community of farmers that are collaborating. And, you know, there is so much to learn from each other. And, and then there's also the, the element of actually just, you know, having a a, a peer network to, to discuss these things with rather than just kind of being off on your own somewhere. So there's those kind of sides to it. But then I do think there are cases in which actually just building those connections can lead to really kind of practical collaborations. Um, so in one of the previous years, we had a group working on pastured poultry. Um, and that group has... Since been working together on how they might be able to develop supply chains to get things like live insects to feed to chickens into remote rural areas, um, and that's something that one one farm on its own probably couldn't manage. But you know, if they work together, they can. And that kind of came out of that project, even though it's slightly different than the knowledge sharing aspect. That that kind of collaboration allowed that to happen, um, and I think we're seeing something similar this year with the with the market garden training network, in that we you know each of those market gardens alone doesn't have the resources really to provide a full curriculum of training or to to help new growers to get get all the skills they need but when they work together we can actually like develop the workforce in that area Um, and this has been really useful to the market gardeners because there isn't much formal training available in the sector really at all and so through this kind of collective approach we've been able to start to try and address some of those gaps and the skills gaps that there are in the sector um and yeah there's there's loads more events and webinars coming up within this the project as a whole so not just in the market gardening group but across all the other groups and all the other topics that different groups have been working on Um, so I would really recommend people check out the website where there's a full list of all the exciting events that are coming up um, the one that's coming to mind that I know registrations open for is on the 24th of January there is an introduction to regenerative grazing webinar so that's that's one that off the top of my head but there's a whole range of different topics for different sectors about you know, on on agroecological transitions but very much um, farmers sharing knowledge with other farmers. You can find out more about me and my work on the Land Workers Alliance website and there's my contact details are there if anyone wants to get in touch.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup, the last for 2023. We'll see you back here on the 17th of January for the first episode of the New Year. Wishing all of you and yours a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from all of us at Scotland's Farm Advisory Service.
1: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.